The Athletic. Julian Nagelsmann is going to buy Munich. Eric Ten Hag has signed a new deal at Ajax, and Brendan Rodgers looks like staying at Leicester City. So does that mean the Tottenham job is unattractive? Because watching them tear Sheffield United apart last night, I did think, who would not want to manage these players in this stadium? My name's Jack Pitbrook. You're listening to the View from the Lane podcast. I'm joined, as always, by James Moore. Uh, James, you'd want to manage these players, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely, yeah. And that, that last night was roughly the team I would have picked. So I would have won a Premier League game 4-0. Easy. One thing I really liked about it is, you know, we've seen so many games this year where Kane just drags them through by himself. And yet Kane, you know, he didn't score yesterday, which is almost, you know, noteworthy enough in itself. But there were so many other good contributions from other players, weren't there? Deli, Bale, Aurier, Reguilon, Son. It was a proper team performance. Yeah, I have to admit, I do find it quite pleasing. And I'm sure he wouldn't like me saying this. I do find it quite pleasing when Spurs win convincingly and Kane doesn't really do that much. It, it, it does make you feel quite like a lot more positive about the team that they're not being like carried by this one player in every single game. And obviously, the, the caveat is Sheffield United, they're bottom of the Premier League. They got relegated. I think the, the quickest relegation or joint quickest relegation ever. Sure. But, you know, it was a, uh, that, that one ball down the line to bail aside in the first half, which is, uh, you know, obviously an incredible pass from Kane. He wasn't really in the game, was he? And I don't know whether there's sort of still uh, like, like lingering issues with that injury from the other week maybe but he didn't look particularly happy he didn't look particularly infused which isn't to say you know that he's sulking or that he played especially badly but it's just quite nice to see other players come to the floor and take a bit of responsibility which last week we were saying was a thing we needed to see happen between now and the end of the season totally yeah yeah that is exactly it Spurs needed guys who aren't Kane to perform well and drag them over the line and as high up the table as they possibly can over the last few games of the season. So it was really, really pleasing from that perspective to see that last night. Um, the two players I want to pick out are Delhi and Bale. I mean, let's start with Delhi. That was only his third Premier League start of the season, which is just ridiculous. That's crazy. Uh, given you know, given everything about Delhi and you know, two-time two-time PFA Young Player of the Year, scored a goal in the World Cup quarter-final, still only 25 years old. And I actually thought he was really good yesterday. I thought he was really good off the ball. He kept, he he won the ball back a lot of times. He was very dangerous in his kind of interchanges with, with teammates. He didn't really... He kind of made a few good runs in behind, that kind of, you know, like kind of Pochettino style, running in behind onto the all-the-wheeled long ball type movements. And I just thought he was really good. I know that, generally speaking, Spurs have used Lucas in that role in the last few months. And, uh, you know, Luke, Luke, there are some aspects of the game that Lucas is really good at. But uh, I think I probably prefer watching Delhi. I think he's just a bit, I think he's just a bit more talented and... Uh, fun. Yeah, and fun. He's just a fun player. Like, on, on his day, there are very few players in the Premier League, I'd say, more fun than Delhi Ali. And, you know, this wasn't his... His best performance of all time, obviously, but it was probably his best performance in the Premier League this season, which, as we've established, probably isn't really saying that much. But it was just so good to see him out there just enjoying himself a little bit. And I know we didn't see the sort of classic, you know, cheeky Deli Ali smile, but, you know, there, there was a nutmeg and there were a few little flicks and tricks that did come off, a couple that didn't, some like intelligent passes, some ambitious passes. And it was just so nice to see him out there 
showing that he's that he's still <laughs> that he's still the same player or somewhere close to it. Off the back of the announcement that uh, our esteemed uh, friend Mr. Mourinho would now be working for Talksport, uh, I tweeted, "Deli Ali's not finished. He's 25." I'm not going to explain that joke. A lot of people didn't get it. I think Jack, you probably do. Do you get that? No. Producer Tom will get it. It's a legendary Talksport clip, and I'm not going to explain it. It's about Anthony Niemi, but I'm not going to explain it. And a lot of the replies to that tweet, well, obviously people who missed the point of the joke, a lot of people replied to that tweet saying, oh, he's never going to be the same player. He's not the player he was three or four years ago. He's he's not interested. He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to work hard. It's never going to work out. And, and, and again, only Sheffield United. But you saw yesterday, there is a, a, a superb player in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I think with the right with the right management, the right coaching, and those are two separate things, I, I think he could still be like a top Premier League player. I really do. You don't just lose that overnight at that age. I think it's crazy the way that he was being written off. And well, I mean, we'll see what happens between now and the end of the season. But I guess your expectation would be he'll start the next game at Leeds and then, you know, assuming he doesn't play dreadfully, he'll probably play the rest of the Premier League games as well. And let's just see what he does between now and the end of the season. I think if he, if he plays like he played yesterday or you know even improves on that in the next few weeks and I think come the end of the season you'll be everyone will be desperate for him to be in a team again next season yeah and there's no reason why there's no reason why he shouldn't be that good again like it's not he's not like one of those it's not like I don't know when Michael Owen had his bad hamstring injury and was never as quick again like he yeah. hasn't had a very bad injury and he's also it's not like you know when Wayne Rooney was sort of 28, 29. He'd already played hundreds and hundreds of games and was a bit worn out. Like, Delhi hasn't played... He's obviously played a lot, but he's only really been a first-team first, first team player for sort of five or six years. So it's not like he's got too many miles in the tank. Like, there's no reason that he shouldn't be good. He, you know, he's relatively quick and relatively powerful, but he isn't like yeah. a player who you'd say relied on, like, sort of physical Present attributes. Power. Yeah, exactly. He, you know, he's a technical player. And I mean, you yeah. lose that at the age of 25. If anything, he should be getting better. Totally, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, particularly given that so much of his game is about arriving into the box at sort of dangerous moments and uh, his kind of capacity to sniff out um, sniff out opportunities like that. And he's got that kind of... People used to compare him a little bit to Thomas Muller. He's kind of, kind of like Thomas Muller instincts when it comes to arriving into the box. And, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, I'm not saying Delhi will have as good a career as Muller. I, I've got no idea, but Muller is obviously a player who's got better and better and better as his career's gone on. Um Gareth Bale is maybe not a direct comparison because he is someone who, to be honest, is probably less good than he was because he he was reliant on, on his athleticism and he's certainly at the start of the season, he didn't look like he was as fit as he used to be or as sharp. That said, I thought he was phenomenal yesterday and I loved watching what watching him when he's really on it is just something else. Like that second goal he scored was just an absolute joy to watch. The way that he raced in behind and then slowed down a little bit because he knew he had time and kind of gave Ramsdale the eyes and then just hammered it into the far top corner. It was just like you have, that's the kind of goal that only a very, very, very good player on top of his game will score. Like an, an average player could, couldn't score that goal. Look, I mean, having said obviously, and obviously he has lost some of his pace, he's yeah. clearly still quite quick. No, he yeah. absolutely roared away, slowed down a little bit, sort of Usain Bolt style as he got to the as he got yeah. to the edge of the box, had a look back over his shoulder, and then bang that shot in the top corner. I mean, they're three superb goals for three very different reasons, weren't they? Like yeah. superb, uh, you know, an amazing, deft little touch and a well timed run for the first goal. Another well timed run, showing his pace, uh, and a powerful strike for the second, and then the third one. I think the run inside, which Oreo picked out again, 
uh, and a really good finish from the edge of the box. I mean, I, I, I saw a lot of tweets on the, on my timeline last night. Obviously, I wasn't taking part on Twitter uh, from people suggest you know like completely incredulous at the idea that people didn't want him there next season. I mean, uh, surely they had to have him there next season, whoever the manager is. I mean, you just can't. Where else is he going to go? He has to be there next season. Yeah, I mean, I, it is, I, I, I don't want to get into a whole Mourinho thing again because I know I, I'm sure a lot of people are incredibly bored of it. But it is, I, 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 I cannot fathom, I cannot put into words how annoyed I am this guy hasn't played more football this season. It is, it is absolutely maddening, genuinely. Yeah. I mean, even if you think like, you know, he had that like purple patch in February, March, say, didn't play well against Arsenal and then got hooked and then we didn't see him again basically until Mason turned up. Uh, you know, there aren't that many games between that purple patch and Mason taking over, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, maybe he wouldn't have made much difference against Manchester United. But if he plays like a decent chunk against yeah. Newcastle and Everton, say, and Spurs therefore win those two games, which I think you would say, you, know, you would say looking at yesterday's performance, they would have a very good chance of doing that, particularly in Newcastle. If they had those extra four points on the board, I mean, they would be in such a strong position to get top four. And, and as I said last week, I, and I still think the same now, I, I suspect what's going to happen is they're going to miss out by two or three points. And I, yeah. and I think you'll be, at the end of the season, you'll be able to look back and say, well, if Gareth Bale had played more football, maybe we'll be saying this about Deli Ali as well. Spurs would cruise into the top four. I really do believe that. I really do. I mean, I just think it's absolutely, you know, I, I know a manager can't like pick a player entirely on performances. There are other balances and you know disciplinary things and whatever and you know m- there are obviously issues uh there between Bale and Mourinho because I don't see it can be purely a football thing but it it just feels like a massive missed opportunity to me yeah it has been and you know you wonder if he's played all the way through the start of the season would he now be flying like he was so his game time was so restricted do you remember halfway through the season, we were talking about Spurs being so reliant on Son and Kane and they needed a third player. We compared it to 16-17 and we said, well, you want a third player who's going to come in and score yeah. maybe 10 Premier League goals. How many Premier League goals has Gareth Bale got now? 10. I mean, and that's, that's come in the last like three months. He was nowhere before that. I think he had one before that. Uh, it is, you know, and it just makes you think, you know, had he been given more minutes in the earlier stages of the season, had he been allowed to play full matches in Europa League and kind of establish himself in the team and in the squad uh, where Spurs would be now and I'm not suggesting they would have won the Premier League but uh, like I say um, I would be very confident they would have been very comfortable in getting into the Champions League totally and even um, I thought Serge Aurier was brilliant yesterday yeah, that bet. little that little ding for the first goal yeah I mean that was so good yeah that was great I had to, I had to I'm sure I wasn't the only one like this but I had to uh, stop myself from tweeting about it I was like <laughs> drafting a tweet in my head and was just about to start typing away and I thought oh no actually we're not doing that now but yeah I thought he was phenomenal also we should say he was he was fasting because of Ramadan oh yeah I hadn't thought of that on about 70 minutes they took a quick break so that would have been uh, sort of between 8.30 and 9pm uh, and he had an energy bar and some water and Mason Ryan Mason was asked about it in the press conference afterwards and said how you know it's such a testament to how good Aurier was that he played so brilliantly well with the two assists and constant running and everything given that he was also fasting so uh, yeah great to um, you know we, we, we are fairly pro Aurier on this podcast I think so it's good to see the great man back to his uh, back to his best if they if they showed that on Sky they didn't mention it or I wasn't paying attention oh okay could be either yeah uh, another thing which we should probably touch on briefly is uh, that stamp on Lo Celso's face by John Fleck. 
that was so bad. It was right down in front of us, and you could hear Lacelso scream in agony and thought and like writhing around on the ground. I thought, Christ, this is really bad. This. And then when when they showed it on the replays, even though there were only I don't know fifty journalists there, or whatever, you could hear audible gasps, as people say, watching watching the replays on the clips. It was awful. I'm absolutely staggered he's got away with that. I mean, you know, obviously in well, I think I said to you. In the aftermath of that, I put a bet on uh, Fleck to score any time in the game, just purely because it felt like after what happened with Laporte the weekend before, like it was inevitable oh, yeah. he was going to get the equaliser. Obviously, this was a 1-0. I was going to say, fortunately, he didn't score, but I would have got 100 quid if he had. So, you know, mixed blessings, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I can't... I mean, look, it's not for us to say whether or not he intended to do that, but I, I, I'm fairly confident in saying it was avoidable. He could have yeah. not done that. <laughs> Yeah, I, totally. He could have... Lacelso was right down in front of him. He could have stepped over him. Maybe he was only trying to step on his shoulder because his foot did seem to slip from the shoulder down to the face. But even then, it was still... I, I, can't, I can't see how that was not reckless and re- you know endangering an opponent's safety. Like Surely that is precisely what that is. There was a look on his face that kind of suggested guilt rather than sort of apologeticness, if you know what I mean. It, 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 you know, he had a look down at Lacelso the second he had done it. And I don't think it was a look of... Oh shit! I've accidentally trodden on someone's face. It was a look of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Quite so. Um, yeah, that was pretty bad. But overall, I, I I left it with I left that game with a very positive feeling about Tottenham. Like you say, James, I think a fear fourth will be beyond them. But I do think they're playing well. Two league wins out of two under Mason. Leeds, Wolves, Villa, and Leicester to come. So could be worse. Uh, I definitely think. The two home games are very winnable. The two away games are slightly harder. That said, Leeds don't really have anything to play for at the moment. And uh, Leicester have got an FA Cup final. What I would say is that I think uh, like, it's really important to be in Europa League. I don't know, we kind of yeah. had these conversations at this point of last season where there was an argument that maybe Spurs would be better off out of Europe. But I think for sort of financial and sporting reasons, they're way, way better off being in it than out of it. Yeah, I agree. But I'm, I'm now, I think they should be able to hold off I think they should be able to finish ahead of West Ham and Liverpool, basically. Making up that five-point gap to Chelsea over the last four games, I think, will be tough. But, uh, yeah, I think f- f- fifth or sixth, I think, should be should be within them, assuming that nothing goes disastrously wrong. I think it would reflect quite badly on the Premier League if Spurs and Liverpool finish above West Ham and Everton after the seasons those four clubs have had, you know, relative to expectations and whatever. I think that would be quite bad in the wake of all the sort of Super League stuff if that happened. I think from the league's perspective, it would probably not look great in terms of like competitiveness. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. The other big topic in Spurs world right now is who is the next manager going to be? It's been quite an interesting week on that front because, as we said at the top of the show, Nagelsmann is now definitely out of the running. Ten Hag, who I think Spurs were planning on speaking to this week, has signed a new contract to Ajax. Doesn't mean he definitely won't go, but you know, I was speaking to someone in Holland the other day who said, oh, you remember when Wesley Schneider signed a new contract to Ajax and then a few days later had gone to Real Madrid, so... These things do happen, but it's um, it would obviously make it harder for Tottenham to recruit him. I think Tottenham think that maybe it's slightly unfair that people are saying that 
managers are turning down Spurs or Spurs are missing out on targets when you know Spurs are still very much at the start of a process they want to find out who's out there and then drop a shortlist and then speak to everyone and then make a final decision so they obviously haven't offered anything to anyone I think you know certainly think Daniel Levy will be keen to to get this absolutely right even if that takes them into um, beyond the end of this season but I guess what, what I wanted to do now is just chat about who who else is out there James and who do you want like who who is there who do you think Spurs fans would want of the available of the managers who are available on the market well I told you my, my dream ticket is Jan Vertonghen and Moussa Dembele joint managers but you scoffed at that one when joint I said managers. that oh why right. it normally works doesn't it well like Evans and Hulier or the uh, those two lads at uh, Salford Norway. oh yeah and that as well yeah or the Cowleys oh and the Cowleys as well I mean, look, I, I, um, I, th- that is a sort of a joke, but to be honest, there isn't really anyone who I've sort of got my heart set on. Of the sort yeah. of touted options, and I mean, I'm looking at uh, a popular odds uh, aggregation website now, uh, and I, I seem to sort of roughly in order from favourite to less favourite. But you've got Rogers, Parker, Ranić, Potter, Nuno. Gasparini, who I've not actually seen mentioned anywhere, but I mean, I that doesn't oh, yeah. really feel like that's especially likely. Yeah. Uh, Sarri, who I think is going to Roma, isn't he now? So that's not oh, going to happen. I didn't know that. Uh, your mate, Roberto Martinez, Rafa Benitez, the man himself, Ryan Mason, Howe Klinsman, Lopetegui, Lopetugi. Yeah. Where, where is he now? Is he Valencia or somewhere? I was going to say, I don't know. No, it's Luis Enrique who's with Spain now, isn't it? Oh, is it Port? Yeah. It's not Port. No, well, when we know nothing about football, clearly. No, clueless. Uh, if yeah. you know, let us know. Yeah, don't bother. Because I'll say oh, no, Lopetegui's at Sevilla. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, fine. So who would you... Who do you most want? Parker? Potter? Potter would be yeah. good. I, I, I just have this... I just ha- Sorry, by the way, I'm never going to answer that question, by the way, because there isn't anyone I want. Yeah, I, okay. my, my vibe with Potter is... I just feel there's like a slight AVB quality to him. And I was a massive AVB advocate, as you may remember. He's obviously a very, very good coach and very good at the tactical side of things. But I worry, and this isn't to say I've heard anything to suggest this isn't the case. This is just my sort of weird outsider reading of it. But I don't know whether how good he is as a sort of man manager. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's something about him. He seems slightly um, standoffish, maybe a bit unfair, but I, do you know what I mean? He doesn't strike me as being especially warm. And again, I could be doing a massive disservice here. What we can say about Potter is that he doesn't have any experience coaching top players. Yeah. And to be honest, I actually think that this is kind of the big difference, or one of the big differences between Spurs now and say Spurs in 2014 when Pochettino took over. Spurs is a really experienced dressing room now. It's an experienced dressing room with big players earning big money who are famous and a high profile. And it's a bit I mean, look, I'm pretty I'm pretty on the side of Spurs players on some of the on a lot of these debates, but I, I do think they need careful management, this dressing room. I think they need encouragement and they need someone to work with them rather than against them. And that's really the lesson of M- Mourinho. And so I'm not saying that Potter wouldn't do that, but I do think that Tottenham need I do think that managing a dressing room like that is a particular skill yeah, in itself. Exactly. And Spurs need someone who's got experience of that kind of work. You know, like Ancelotti is obviously not an option because he's at Everton, but he has a lot of experience in managing big name players, which I think is the sort of thing that Tottenham would need. And that's why, for example, why I don't think Ralph Hasselhoff is an option because 
Hassan Huddle, I think, has done really well at Saints. Obviously, they've had a pretty awful last few months. But just from speaking to contacts, like the Hassan Huddle style, I think, is much more suited to a lower level of player because he's so demanding and so controlling. And he tells the players, he micromanages the players through the games. And there's not a lot of kind of trust there, really. And so I want, I don't think that a Hassan Huddle type approach would work at Tottenham. I think the Tottenham players would not like it. And, you know, Eddie Howe, for example, is a name you hear a, you hear a fair bit. And, you know, I think Eddie Howe, again, did an incredible job at Bournemouth and I've got a lot of admiration for him. But he's not, he's got no experience managing that kind of dressing room, those kind of players. So I don't know whether, whether he would work out. The one I kind of tossed around in my mind for a bit, and actually he was on Jamie Carragher's podcast last week, and the way he says Spurs is really pleasing. Uh, and that's Jabby Alonso. And he obviously he, he strikes, and I'm sure you'll agree with this. He strikes me as the kind of person who will be a good manager. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, he has exactly. that kind of quality. The way he holds himself, like obviously he's been in incredibly successful teams, and is an incredibly intelligent and talented player. But he played for Mourinho. He played for Rafa Benitez. He played in that Spain team who I, I would say were actually fairly dour at times. Played for Pep. Did play for Pep at Bayern as well. That is true. But yeah, I just, I'd be really fascinated to know what kind of football his teams are going to play. I mean, I haven't seen much of Real Sociedad B. He's like, he's like a good bloke, isn't he? I've not yeah, heard, yeah. I've not heard anything suggest otherwise. Uh, so uh, there's something about him that's really appealing. On this podcast, he kind of, and this is a really good podcast, by the way, the Jamie Carragher podcast. It's way better than this. He kind of suggested that he was going to wait a bit longer. And I think there was a thing he, he didn't, he turned down, was it much Gladbach? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that isn't a, a goer anyway, but there's some, someone like that. I need someone like yeah. like young and sexy and dynamic that I can kind of buy into. I don't, you know, I, that, that's that, as a fan, that kind of feels like what I want now. There's not like an obvious, like, like fully formed option there, which is kind of why, that's kind of why I mentioned like Vertonghen or Dembele, because I just think like, g- g- give me something, like, give me something new and exciting that I can kind of throw all my belief into, possibly that isn't going to work out. But I kind of feel like that. That's I'd rather just gamble now than go with something sort of six out of ten that is just never really going to work, especially well. Yeah, I'd love. To, I, I I mean, I'd love it to be Xabi Alonso. I think he's a legend. I think he'd probably do better than Andrea Pirlo, who's had a pretty tough time in his year at Juventus. But then Pirlo went in with almost no coaching experience at all. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a weird one. Yeah, I just think Pirlo's a kind of Pirlo's just Latin for people who read the London Review of Books. He's obviously really good, but uh, some people are just a bit too mad about him. Whereas I think Xabi Alonso, I've always kind of preferred him as a player. I've read a few interviews, and this was this was a, a popular thought at my former workplace, World War Two, where like he, he, you know, obviously a fantastic player and looks the part. But if you like read any interview with him, he's just like you know, just some bloke who sits around in hotel rooms playing on PlayStation like every other footballer. He's just no different, really. Yeah, yeah. What about Roberto Martinez? So I think Martinez is probably. To be honest, I think he's probably as likely as anyone at this point. He's manager of Belgium, but his his name is being put around by intermediaries uh, towards the Spurs job. I, I'll be honest, I've been slightly surprised, James, by how down Spurs fans I've spoken to or interacted with on social media have been about Martinez. I thought Martinez would be really good. I, I think from a personal perspective, my... Uh, view of Roberto Martinez is is massively tainted by watching that Tottenham Wigan game in 2009, the 9-1. Oh, yeah. Uh, and seeing Spurs absolutely tear Wigan to pieces in the second half and Martinez not really change anything. 
I mean, Spurs scored like sort of three or four, maybe even five, incredibly similar goals in the second half of that game. Like it, it, on the kind of right hand side in the channel, sort of Lennon and Defoe, like Lennon finding the space between the left sided fullback and the left back, who was Eric Edmund. And he just didn't do anything to change it. <laughs> and uh, obviously that was 12 years ago. And, you know, he, he has done a lot since then, including winning the FA Cup with Wigan and, uh, and get relegated with Wigan and get to the FA Cup, uh, World Cup, sorry, semi-final with Belgium. So, uh, and to have one very good season with Everton. But I, I, there's something about him because of that. that and this is incredibly yeah. unfair and unreasonable, obviously. But that has always kind of tainted how I view him. And the fact that, you know, the second and third season at Everton, really not good at all. That's true. On the other hand, his first season at Everton, when they got 72 points, that's their best season since they won the league in 1986-87. I think he just had one of those careers which you can either you can spin one or two ways, whether depending on whether you're pro or anti. There have been some big highs there, you know, promotion with Swansea from League One, really kind of yeah. launched the sort of Swansea era. Keeping Wigan in the Premier League for three years with those players, winning the FA Cup, I think probably the unlikeliest FA Cup win since Sunderland in the 70s. And then I guess Belgium probably performed about par with Belgium, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. with those players. I mean, I think they didn't really do anything at all in that semi-final against France in 2018. I don't know how much that's on Martinez or, or on the individuals. You can argue about that. But I think from a Spurs perspective, he would tick a lot of boxes. Like, he has got experience working with top players. He does like a sort of progressive brand of football. He does know the Premier League. He strikes me as someone who, who would kind of eke good performances out of the top players, like you say. I kind of feel like... If, if he was if he was dreadful at managing big players, he would have been gone from Belgium by now. Like you know, De Bruyne and Hazard would have kind of said yeah. to the Belgian FA, yeah, "Come on, not not this player. Let's get someone else." And and clearly they're kind of quite happy, presumably, to to have him there. So yeah, as you say, I, that that would be the thing that I would say certainly works in his favour. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming if Daniel Levy was considering this, he could speak to Toby Alderweireld or or yeah. uh, you know even Vertong- all my boys Vertonghen and Dembele to see what they think of him. So yeah, I mean, maybe he's not the worst option. My one concern uh, is that I have a bit of history with Roberto Martinez, which I think yeah. I've mentioned to you before. Yeah, and, and I think it would kind of haunt me a bit if he did become Tottenham manager. Uh, so in 2014, during that during the World Cup in Brazil, I went up to Everton's training ground, Finch Farm, to interview Martinez for 442. I kind of waited around, at, you know, like in the kind of canteen area at the training ground for a while and got called through to his office with our photographer. And while the photographer was setting up, me and Martinez were having a bit of a chat and he like went and sat down behind his desk. So I kind of had my bag on and my jacket on and kind of went to sit down. And you know those office chairs you get where the legs kind of, it's not like four legs, the legs, it's like one kind of continuous like loop of metal. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they kind of come down the front and then down across the yeah. bottom of me at the back. And I kind of shifted that back and perched on the edge as I took my jacket off and my bag off. And because I was sat right in the front, <laughs> the chair like pushed out backwards and I just fell like completely flat on my ass in oh, front man. of a Premier League manager. Uh, it's like the ultimate humiliation. He laughed the exact right amount though. That is what I would say about him. That is the good thing about him. Like, you know, laugh too much in that situation and I'm going to feel like shit. Not yeah. laugh at all and it's obviously going to be way too like serious a situation. Yeah. And it's going to make me feel really, really awkward. So he laughed the exact right amount, which was good. But I'll be thinking about that literally for like his entire reign if he becomes Spurs manager. He does seem like a, a really nice guy. Uh, I don't know how much that I don't know how much Spurs fans care about that, or how much any any fans really care about that at this point. But uh, yeah, I've always liked him, and I do think he's a very good talker. Uh, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a sucker for that for his articulacy. But he is a very good talker on TV, and if you ever hear him interviewed, so I think he, I think he'd be interesting. 
Right now, we're offering our listeners 40% off the price of a subscription to The Athletic. You can read all of our great articles on Spurs, including my piece this morning explaining why the club will be able to attract plenty of strong managerial candidates this summer. To read that and so much more, go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to take advantage of our special 40% discount and to subscribe to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month. Is there anyone else out there? Like, I think I suffer a little bit from not massively being across, like, who are the best managers in other countries at the moment. Obviously, um, Marco Rose was very highly, highly spoken of, but he's going to Borussia Dortmund in the summer. And then beyond that, it's, you know, what about, I don't know, Christophe Galtier at Lille or Rudy Garcia at Lyon? Would those guys be good? I would genuinely be interested for people who watch a lot of foreign football to say, is there a manager operating at a, you know, at a, Biggish, good team getting them to play well in one of the other top five leagues in Europe. What about Steven Gerrard? I mean, look, I, Gerrard, I mean, probably should be in that conversation, shouldn't he? I mean, he, yeah. you know, he, he's winner. done like a reasonably good Most job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I guess for, for someone like that, he might because he's obviously desperate to manage Liverpool. Yeah. Presumably, he, that Spurs may be kind of at the level where it makes it difficult to then manage Liverpool, maybe. Maybe like, you know if you do a good job at Spurs and then you're in a Champions League and then suddenly do you, how do you kind of then hop over to manage Liverpool? It kind of feels like that might be slightly awkward. You don't often see yeah. there's not too many sort of managerial switches between big clubs in England, aren't there? I can't think about the last time someone went directly from one to another. You're about to come up with a good example here, aren't you? I can't think of like, one. Sort of established a- established elite clubs. You know, you get one. You no. know, AVB obviously. Uh, I, I mean, I suppose you would say Mourinho as well. I guess. But where they've kind of been sat from one, then waited around and got into another one when they're in a bad moment. That kind of thing happens. Has there been a good one since Parch? 2014, seven years ago. But I mean, he didn't go from like an established elite Premier League no, club to another one, did no. he? But I mean, I'm talking about like, you know, into big six, where they've done a good job and then being poached by another one. I mean, I suppose you say like Moyes maybe would be the closest. Uh, maybe we're missing Moyes, something really yeah. obvious, but Moyes kind of feels like, you know, he did work like... Made Everton like a sort of consistently decent Premier League yeah. side up to like top eight maybe rather than top six. But his contract had expired when he left Everton in 2013. Had it? So he didn't have to be poached. Yeah, and that was the end of his contract. Uh, I just want to do one quick question before we wrap up. Uh, I mean, we could speculate about managerial options all day. Um, so this is a question we got from Christopher, which I quite liked. The question is, in my opinion, the 2017 FA Cup semi-final was the most pivotal game in our recent history. I believe Spurs were the best team in the Premier League at that point, and with Chelsea on the ropes, losing to Palace at home, I think winning that semi-final would have caused a buckle and potentially led to a Tottenham double. Well, yeah, I mean, after Chelsea lost to Man United, they were four points ahead of Spurs with six games left going into that cup semi. I can't, I don't really know if they would have buckled. I kind of think they wouldn't have done just because of Conte. I think Conte is so relentless when it comes to winning the league. So I, I, I kind of disagree that Spurs winning the semi would have won them the Premier League. That said, I definitely think they I, it, it is a, a bit of a sadness to me, even as a non-Spurs fan, that Spurs didn't win that semi-final. Just because Spurs were actually really good for quite a lot of that game. And then Chelsea brought on Hazard and Costa and won. Yes, I mean, they scored two very good goals, didn't they, Spurs, in that game? Oh, yeah. Obviously, Matic scored a very good goal for Chelsea. And this was the game where Son played at left wing back, of course. And it was yeah. basically the beginning of the end of Walker, wasn't it, really? Trippier played instead of Walker. Why is Walker not playing? But wing-backs yeah. are Trippier and Son. Yeah, Son at left wing-back was a very strange decision. Giving away a penalty as well. Yeah. And it's just, it was just one of those games that shows you that you can, 
a team like Tottenham can can play really, really, really well in a game like that against a better team. But a lot of the time, it just comes down to details. Like it comes down to a mixture of the other team simply having better players. And then all the little details going against them. A little bit of know-how, I think, as well. Victor Moses yeah, died for that Moses, penalty. And then, yeah. then, he got, then he dived in the final and got sent off, didn't he, against Arsenal? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Is that a second yellow for diving? Yeah. I think you have to look back on the the Chelsea and Man United Cup semis in 2017 and 2018 as massive. massive I think the Man United one was worse, I think, for me. Because it it Conte's like, Chelsea were better than Mourinho's United. Yeah, by quite a long distance, I'd say, actually. And the second one, Pochettino played Vorm in goal. And I don't think he was like directly responsible for either of the goals. But I, I just, I don't know, maybe that sort of sent the wrong tone. And also in that game, like the Chelsea game was sort of a bit of a to and fro where Chelsea kind of, you know, landed the fatal blow near the end. I think in the last 15 minutes, maybe they scored the last two goals and it went from 2-2 to 4-2. But in, in 2018, I think United scored their second goal quite early in the second half, or maybe like an hour. And then I just remember Spurs like like chucking Lucas on and him not really doing anything and then not really ever like creating any chances after yeah. that and being quite sort of blunt and sort of not really looking especially good. That Man United semi was the one, one of the few times I remember writing my piece that Spurs had actually bottled it. I think I said something like, not every defeat is a bottle, but this one actually is. Like There was United, an element Spurs, of that. Spurs were better than United. They should have won. They were much better in the first half. They threw it away. And in the end of that season, I guess United did finish second, didn't they? And I think Spurs, did they finish third or fourth? Third, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you would have made the argument that they were a better team. But I, I think at that point in the season, it felt like Spurs were a stronger team. I mean, they'd won that they'd won that league game at Wembley, hadn't they? Because that, that would have been yeah. that season, wouldn't it? When Eriksen scored after twenty seconds or whatever it was. Oh yeah, yeah, the one. Yeah, I, yeah. Just continue, and obviously, Spurs had played for Wem- at Wembley for ages by that point. And and you know, they think yeah. that the idea was, oh, well, they're playing their league games at Wembley now, so they shouldn't be worried about playing cup games there. And clearly, it uh, didn't work in their favour. Yeah. Whereas I think in the twenty in the twenty seventeen semi, they played that ch- is it that Champions League game in sixteen seventeen were at Wembley. Yes. Right. So they so they played a, f- a handful of European games. Yeah, but it wasn't the, yeah, Wembley, not the same. But like, they were still looked a bit uncomfortable playing at Wembley. Well, they went at out that in the group as well. Yeah, they and what they got knocked up again, didn't they, in the Europa, in the Europa League. League? So they won one of four European games. That they yeah. There, so like going that. into that Chelsea game, unlike the Man United game, there was a sense of Spurs looking a bit anxious at Wembley, and um, obviously Chelsea got in behind or dewirled once or twice, and there was a theory that Spurs weren't comfortable playing on that bigger pitch compared to the pitch they've been playing at a White Hart Lane, like the distances and everything was slightly different. So yeah, that's why I think the United one was more of a missed opportunity than the Chelsea one. I think that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast, but thank you very much. End on a positive. Thanks, Jack. Uh, thank you very much. Well, no, it's been a pretty positive podcast, I think, compared to the last uh, two years of podcasts. Um, we've got a win to talk about for a start. And also, I think there's a bit of optimism about next season, even though we don't know exactly what it's going to look, look like at this point. So thank you very much, Christopher, for that question. Um, sorry to everyone who sent us good questions that we haven't got around to. Um, it was a statement, by the way, not a question as well. Just a picture. Oh, yeah. But whatever. And yeah, let us know if you've got any any ideas for who the next manager should be. Not that it's not that it's up to us, but uh, I would put like. A good word I would, in. Yeah, we. I mean, we could try. Um, I would like to hear more about what Spurs fans think. I, I I do feel like James said that there isn't really a preferred candidate amongst the fan base at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see if one emerges. But we'll be back at the normal time next week. We'll be looking back on the Leeds United game and looking forward to what will only then be the last three games of the Premier League season. The Athletic.